You are listening to Evidence of Things Screened. I'm your host, Lincoln Alabaster. Today's show is entitled Inner Strength. My guest, Alex Espana, is here to discuss the finer points of Unbreakable, M. Night Shyamalan's best film. Yeah, I said it. They call him Mr. Glass. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, keep listening. The next episode of Evidence of Things Screen starts now. Once again, this is Evidence of Things Screened. I'm Lincoln Alabaster, and here with me is Alex Espana, the most basso profundo guy I know. Well, <laughs> Alex, <laughs> welcome to Evidence. You're pretty good, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not even close. Welcome to Evidence of Things Screened. Um, Thank you. I don't know if Glad you, to be here. I'm glad you're here. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if you're superstitious or not, but mm. what do you make of being the guest on my 13th yeah. episode? I, I noticed that. Yeah. I noticed that. I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous, but I think we're going to make the number 13 the lucky number 13. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's what I want to hear. That's right. So, all right. So, let's get down to business here. There are three segments that we're going to do today on Unbreakable, and they're going to be broken down like this. First segment is the unbelievable second is the unforgettable and the third segment is the unimaginable so let's go the unbelievable unbreakable was released here in the united states in november of 2000 right about the time when the state of florida was still counting votes from the presidential election i remember that vividly oh what a time. I, I what a time. I was, can I just share a story really Please quickly? Please do. I was, in, uh, I was working at Purdue University uh, in, was, in West Lafayette, and we had uh, just left an event. Um, it was an old master's event, was what it was called, and uh, we all retreated to a fine dining estab- establishment called Applebee's. <laughs> and there we were watching, <laughs> heard of it. watching the uh, votes come in, and that was a pretty historic night. Yes. Right, yes. Historic. And... Uh, of course, a historic ruling a few weeks later. So, um, to kind Poor of... Al Gore. Yeah. At yeah. least he invented the internet. <laughs> There's always that. There's always that. There's always that. Right. So, to help distract from all of that, there's this film, which was very widely anticipated, given that its director, M. Night Shyamalan, and the star, Bruce Willis, were coming off massive success from their previous year's smash hit, The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. So, as it turned out, though, Unbreakable did not do as well commercially or critically as its predecessor. No Academy Award nominations for this one. Boo. Yeah, yeah. Boo. I think the screenplay really was was, uh, it was ingenious. Solid. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I thought so. But um, they didn't. They didn't want to do it. So I, I actually I do prefer it to the Sixth Sense. And um, it is. What other movies were was it up against? I can't even remember. For two thousand, yeah. For oh man, well the year two thousand, the the screenplay. In the year two thousand. <laughs> I think it went to uh, to traffic. Ah well. It might have gone to traffic. I know Best Picture traffic. was was Gladiator. Really. For yeah, for the it's year two thousand. Knowledge. 
Yeah. And you're not even Googling that. No, I'm not. That's no. impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Very good. Oscar trivia is right. kind of something right. that I'll I work stop with. Now. So. I'll <laughs> no longer question you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, please do. It keeps me sharp. That's right. So, Alex, were you a fan of the film when you first saw it? So I'm not gonna lie. When you when we first talked about doing this movie, yeah. I actually thought you had said Unbroken. Oh, the Angelina Jolie. Yeah, I wasn't as excited, although I thought that was a fantastic <laughs> movie. I wasn't as excited, and then when I uh, uh, we read your your email, we, we we started talking, and I followed up. I was like, oh, Unbreakable, and I thought that was an awesome movie. Yeah, I mean, I love that movie. Yeah, I loved it the first time. Um, it has, and even before I watched it again, it, it, you know, there's some movies that, um, stay with you. There's scenes of movies that are etched in your memory. Right. And for whatever reason, I remembered vividly the scene where the Bruce Willis character, um, what's his name again? Uh, David, David, Dunn, David Dunn, David Dunn is, uh, bench pressing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's exercising, right? That's and, a great and, scene. And, and his son keeps adding weight, unbeknownst to him, just keeps adding weight and finally decided they have to add more weight. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, no, 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 but that's a great that scene. That is literally etched in my mind as one of, the, one of the coolest scenes of all time. Yeah, I think there's something about this film because um, you wouldn't normally think of it in the superhero genre, right? Because right? it, just, it just doesn't have the bells and whistles of your Batman or Superman or whatnot, but it right. it, it right. just is so organic. So for me Discovery of your strengths. Yes. Right. Yes. And so we'll we'll definitely get into that. Uh so the plot of Unbreakable it's it's relatively simple, uh, especially considering the last film we did was Inception. So <laughs> as far as <laughs> Thank you for not asking me about that one. <laughs> <laughs> this is so much more simple than that. Um an obsessive comic book art dealer helps a stadium security guard discover who he really is after that security guard is the lone survivor of a massive train crash. So that's pretty much the premise. And for listeners, as you know, we always talk about uh, the details here. So spoiler alert. And uh, Stop this podcast right now. Yeah, if you haven't seen that right movie, now. watch it and then come back to us. Yes. Thank you for that PSA. That is absolutely <laughs> correct. I wouldn't want to ruin things for folks. Getting into the film, the first scene shows a woman who just gave birth to a baby boy with what is later diagnosed as osteogenesis imperfecta, a disease where one's bones are easily fractured. And it's a strange scene because the birth is not in a hospital, it's not in a home, it's it's in a department store. So what do you what do you make of this? Why why choose this setting to introduce us to the character of Elijah Price, who's, who's Why the baby? Why department store? Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure why. I will say this. The one thing that, mm. that uh, struck me, uh, knowing that the baby had, had come out and, and the doctor who was actually holding the baby was like, right. you know, did someone drop this baby because it has broken legs and broken arms? It's yeah. terrible. Um, what the 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 line that came into into mind as far as them being inside a department store is sometimes a sign that you see again here in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you break, you buy. <laughs> you right, and I think it it's it shows you talks maybe about the the delicate nature even sometimes of department stores. You know, right. the the bull in the china shop and and just this whole idea that um, you know this was not a typical birth. That this is this was. Uh, unique in every way uh, absolutely for me 
it was almost as though his birth was a surprise, right? Like, I mean, right. obviously she wasn't prepared for the birth. She's there. She's chopping. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to go pick up, I don't know, a turtleneck. Yeah. And, and she's and all of a in sudden, Philadelphia hanging out. And she's like, oh, I think I'm going to have a baby. Yeah. And so that it, it comes as a surprise. And I know um, Elijah Price is not a, a Christ figure. In fact... <laughs> We'll get to that quite the opposite, but no. but I found it interesting because he was born under very humble circumstances yeah. and seems to have a been, manger, if you will, yeah. <laughs> department store manger. Department store manger. Was it Christmas time in in the movie? It was I, cold. It was cold because they were wearing coats, right. so it it very likely mm. could have been. Mm. Hmm, interesting. Hmm, very good point there. Very yeah. good point, and and. It seems that he was somehow miraculously conceived because there is no mention whatsoever of the father. Never once. Not once. He never talks about him. The mother doesn't talk about him. There's no clue who his father is. Yep. So I find that interesting. And and I think, you know, another reason perhaps that um, Shyamalan wanted to make the point was that Elijah was destined for dysfunction from birth. He was he was literally born broken. Right. So yeah. I think that's something else that foreshadowing. Yeah, it does. It's a foreshadowing. Right. right. And for the spiritual parallel, I mean, I feel like that's kind of staring us in the face. Mm. But but I do want to ask: Are we born broken in in terms of sin? I mean, there's that verse from Psalm fifty-one five where where David, King David, is saying, you know, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me so are we born broken or is there is there like a period of grace or innocence before we begin i guess breaking bad for the lack of a better term i mean that is i feel like that's a very deep theological question <laughs> right <laughs> one that i'm very hesitant to delve <laughs> to into. wade into those I waters mean, listen i think um it's hard to to believe now, listen. I know the company line. I don't know the company <laughs> line. We're all born sinners. It's just right. the way it is, right? right? You're you're born a sinner, and and you know through Christ's love and and, and his his sacrifice, mm-hmm. uh, we are cleansed of our sin, right? Yes, okay. that is the company okay. line. I guess the company line. But you know, you do wonder. I mean, you see this little baby. You see babies. It's hard to 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 look at a child that was just born an infant and be like sinner, broken, <laughs> bad news. You know. Yes. Um, so I don't know where where the, the the brokenness starts happening. Right. You know, I I thought about this for a little bit, and I, uh, and I wonder if like the when when knowing starts coming in. Yes. Right. When knowing starts, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about knowing like when you're 13, 14, 15. No. You you can know as early as you know you know one you know years old you know eleven months twelve you start manipulating mom and dad you start yeah. understanding how a tantrum works you start you yeah. know the ability of throwing things across the room for all the wrong reasons. I mean, uh, I'm not saying that's, that's a sign of brokenness, but I mean, I think early on, I think, uh, you know, we start seeing how, how broken we are. I, I agree. And actually there is some biblical support for this. Uh, first for, for David and his quote, uh, in Psalm 51, I think he's saying like, I was brought forth in iniquity, not that, he was born a sinner in in that sense, but that he was born into a sinful world, not that he was 
instantly guilty of sin. Mm -hmm. But what it says in Isaiah 7, 14 and 16, I think this kind of clarifies it for me. It says, um, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. So it seems to me mm. that the Bible is advocating that there is a period before. Right. It's the whole knowing thing. It's it goes the knowing back to thing. knowing. So right, right. you're right on target um, with what that I was, was a, able to find. That was a lucky guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that one too. <laughs> So, yeah, no, but ultimately, I, I do think Elijah's birth in the film is analogous to our birth, right? He, his may have obviously been uh, dramatized for effect, but we're all broken on some level, like just even on a DNA level, we're all prone right. to disease and imperfection, right. um, aging, obviously, That's right. uh, and are inclined to choose wrong over right for selfish reasons. So, uh, moving on, the next scene deals with Bruce Willis's character, David Dunn, who's returning by train to Philly from New York after a job interview. Hmm. And on this train, this trip, we learn three things about David that are key to the story. One, he doesn't like water. Two, he doesn't like football. And three, he's not happy with his marriage. Hmm. He's a man who's deeply depressed and unfulfilled in my opinion, mostly because he doesn't know who he really is. You know, I thought it was interesting in that one scene when he's on the train and the woman sits next to him. Yes. And he kind of does like this fumble of a flirtatiousness thing. Yeah. And she gets a little defensive. But, you know, she is a sports agent. Yes. She is an NFL. I guess uh, uh, she... she uh, yeah, I think she's scouting for the... For the NFL. Right. I think that's yeah. what she said, like a football player. And it's actually quite funny. She says, oh, he's 6'1", 225 pounds, quarterback. And I'm like, yeah. not anymore. I mean, 6'1", <laughs> I don't know where you're playing. But anyway, I guess back in 2000, 6'1", quarterback was, was the way to go. Um, but I thought it was interesting because he was a former football player. And right. I think they're trying to, you know, uh, make that connection. Very much. Very much. It's almost like what he could have been. Right. Right, and here's your opportunity yeah. to talk about, you know, well, I'm reminded of, you know, my football glory days, but he didn't really go into it. No, and he, that's why he, he lied to her and said, I, I don't really like football. Right, right. <laughs> so he right. just didn't even want to. Denial. Yeah, it's denial, and Straight I think that's that's something that he's living. Right. Um, living a lie. Living a lie, because he's, there was someone that he was supposed to be, and he's not right. that person. Right. And so he doesn't even want to be reminded of it, talk about anything tangential to it at all. So he, he kind of shuts that down. Right. And then she shuts him down. So. Yeah. <laughs> she was a little strong too, but right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so we, we compare this to the scene of a young Elijah Price, which is later portrayed as an adult by Samuel L. Jackson in all his Frederick Douglass glory. Best, one of the best of all time. <laughs> he, he is. He mm -hmm. is. And he was great in this film. But uh, you compare this scene, the scene with David Dunn, to this young Elijah Price who was embarrassed about his physical condition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his mother had to plant his favorite comic books on the playground across the street just to get him to go outside. I thought that was a fantastic move. Yeah. 
It was know? brilliant. But the, but again, the whole idea of of getting out of your comfort zone to get something that you want. Yes. You know what I mean? And and she knew, as mothers oftentimes do, know what buttons to press to get your child to do things. But again, sometimes the idea of stepping out of your comfort zone. It's almost and, and always him, that way. Taking a risk in order to get what he wanted, which at this point was... was um, his comic books, right? Yeah, and I, I think that's almost always the way it works. In order to gain something of of value, you you generally have to take a risk. So I watched the film, and it occurred to me that that neither David nor Elijah particularly liked himself. Mm. And I wondered, and I'm asking you now: Is it uh, worse to be Elijah, who didn't like who he was because he knew or thought he knew his true self? Or David, who didn't like who he was because he didn't know his true self. You know, I think both are terrible. Yes. Both are terrible, right? But if you can admit sometimes your faults or see the issues, you know, you yeah. talk about addicts, you know, when, you, when, when addicts go into treatment, they say the first thing you have to do is, I guess, admit, what is it, acknowledge yeah. a problem, admit you have a problem, whatever yes. it is. If you're... I'm able to have that kind of um, ability for self-reflection and whether it's good or bad, understand mm -hmm. who you are and what you are. If you can articulate that, that's a starting point. Right. That's a starting point. Not to say that it's going to get any easier, but at least you can recognize maybe what your issues are and try to address them. But I think really the latter in, um, in uh, the Bruce Willis character, you mm -hmm. know, the whole idea of trying to figure out your purpose, why yeah. you're here, what this is all about. Really, yeah. in the end, I think that's what everyone is struggling with, regardless of, you know, employment, of education, of wealth, of... It's, it's why am I here? <laughs> why am I here? What is the point of all this? And I think that struggle, um, trying to figure that out, is... I don't know if that necessarily ends. I mean, it's, I certainly agree, hopefully it does, but... I know when you have absolutely no clue, it can be frustrating. Yeah, I, I think, I thought about this too, and I feel like for David, in a way, it probably is worse. Um, it's got to be, right? Yeah, it's, it's probably like, worse. I don't know, what, what is this all about? Yeah. I don't, I don't know, know what have, I'm doing. You have no idea. Whereas Why am I doing this? Elijah, he didn't necessarily like himself, but in a way, he he knew what his role was, in, or at least he had an idea about who he was. Right. And he was making almost the best of what he, you know, he was making the best of what he could with the, with the hand he was dealt, if you will. Right. right? Um, but David didn't, I mean, he was lost at sea. Yeah. He had no yeah. clue. So I, I, I do think it's for this, you know, as you said, both are terrible, but what's, what's better marginally is to be Elijah, to know who you are and, and maybe not like it, but, as you said, at least you can address it. Right. So or attempt to. Attempt to, right. Right. So, now, biblical counsel on this. Mm -mm. <laughs> <laughs> is there any biblical counsel that you can think of in terms of what what is better, to be unaware? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with unaware. <laughs> Straight up unaware. Um, or to, to know. Uh, to know. To know, 
I'm sure you have the answer to this somewhere. You're about to drop some knowledge on me, and I'm going to go full I'm gonna full board. I'm going to go the wrong direction on this. I don't. I don't know. I think. Yeah. Um, I think not knowing is you know uh, ignorance is bliss, right? And I think yeah. at certain degree, not knowing people in society, you know, we we sometimes we give a pass to people who just didn't know any better. Yes. You know, well, they didn't know. That's but, true. But as soon as you kind of know and you still make poor decisions or um, still, you know, act in a reckless behavior or, or, you know, whatever. Right. Right. I think people are less forgiving. Then you're held accountable. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's right. So, yeah, I think, well, that's the thing with in terms of what I was able to find uh, in the Bible. The thing is that. Right. Once you know, then right. you are held accountable. Wrong and strong. <laughs> you know, I know this is not right, but I don't care. In Psalm 139, uh, 20, verse 23, King David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So he's inviting God to show him who he really is and mm. thereby making him accountable. Mm. So, and that's, mm. that's a, I, I heard a sermon once, um, called dangerous prayers and this was one of the 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 prayers Very dangerous. Was like hey okay are you sure you want to know you want to go down that you road know? but i think in a way we do have that responsibility because it's one thing to be ignorant because you didn't know but it's another thing to be willfully right ignorant right. and i think that's where you know the bible doesn't although someone doesn't so, some may argue you know how 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 is the will, like, you know, programmed in your mm-hmm. soul, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, as Jeremiah seventeen nine. So, I mean, that oh, that is... See, there you go. <laughs> I was going to go with the heart is strong, but the flesh is weak. <laughs> well, that's, that's also true. The mind true. is strong, right? Yeah, right? It's, uh, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is yeah, weak. Yeah, always. So, for me, the problem with David Dunn and Unbreakable is that you know, he doesn't know himself and is living beneath his potential. So, you yeah. know, with Elijah, we talked about that he knows himself, but I don't think he, I don't think he does anything to change it. I mean, he knows ultimately who he is, but. Well, he has a mission. He ha- right. I mean, regardless of his life, he has a mission. He's actually been pretty successful. I mean, the guy has a. As a, a comic dealership, am I getting ahead of schedule? No, I mean, no, no, he has no. a comic dealership, right? Yeah. Um, he and not only is he successful there, but he also um, has this side mission of right. life. I mean, quite frankly, he probably had it more figured out than a lot of people do. He did. You Th- know? That's the crazy part about it is as successful professionally, and on the side, he's trying to figure out. Yeah, most people are just trying to stay afloat, just right. from the career standpoint but he had that but then he was also looking at the bigger meaning Mm -hmm. of life and i mean we will get into all that but just the fact that he was thinking on those levels um put him above most of us right right? Right. um so you know the entire film pretty much hinges on what happens next the new york to philly train derails and the crash kills every passenger except david dunn of course of course this catches the attention of the ER doctor because not only is David the only survivor, but
but he doesn't even have a scratch. It's unbelievable. So at this point in the story, do you think David sees his survival as a coincidence or something else entirely different? Well, I definitely think he sees it as something different, although I don't think he's connected the dots yet. I think he's realized, I'm a lone survivor. That is a big deal, regardless of what it is. I think he recognized that this was strange. This was crazy. Now, I don't... It didn't look like he was going... He was flashing back to the car accident uh, of his youth with his girlfriend. Mm. I don't know if he was connecting all those dots at that point. But right. I think it's it was easy to see that he was freaked out. Yeah. Yeah. He was freaked out. Um, I do like the scene, although you know this is not re- you know realistic, but I like the scene where the doctor's talking to him and you can see the other person yeah. in the <laughs> foreground basically dying. Right. You know, yeah. bleeding suddenly through the through the um, the gown. Right. And by the way, no one is like sewing that up. I don't know what's going on there. This person's just like bleeding out. And the doctor is looking at uh, David and looking at the person who's dying and looking at David and talking. And, right. And really and David has a clear view a of clear the person, view of what's going which on in the next would room. never happen that but, would never happen but, but but it works for the the purposes of the film powerful and you know I think I do think you're right that David sees his survival as as something strange I think it's a sign that he's meant for more or he was saved for something a wake up call maybe it is you I know? think I think he looks at it as that maybe nothing more at this point and um but, you know, given the existence that he was living at the time of the crash, I don't know. I think he might have preferred to to die. Oh, I don't know. He's I, like, man, that is fascinating insight. Yeah. Maybe I, he was wishing deep down, like, I was the other guy. I was, yeah. I you think, know? I think there's it a, would have been easier had I just, like, you know. I think there's a part of him that wishes that he was. Yeah. But... Now that he's Lincoln dropping knowledge, that's amazing. yeah, that's <laughs> I, they know that I think you could be right there. Yeah, I I think so. I hopefully um you know for well, him, because, you know I think sometimes we struggle with like the meaning and and you know often you're like not that and I hope in in the deep, deepest and darkest moments of people's lives that they don't want to give up, but sometimes it's easy just to want to give up. Right. Right. Yeah. Just to you know the heck with all this. Uh, what's the point? And. And to your point, that could have been a moment for him to be like, really? Exactly. I could have just, you know, we could have just solved everything. Everything could everything have just could gone have away. I'm not going to off myself, but, you know. Yeah, but this could have conveniently done the job for me. I wouldn't have to deal with, you know, the marrow problems. Or, My reality. Yeah, just all the things that are going mm. on. It's just, it would have been the, the easy way out for him. And he's like, well, I guess I got to go back and live. So, um, now the, the parallel question here, is it possible to emerge from life's train wrecks unbroken? Is that even a realistic expectation for a believer? uh, Unbroken. I don't know what that means. Like unbroken, right? I mean, every, I, it's, you're able to, intact, right? You can survive and maybe, continue on you're right but i don't know if you're completely unbroken right right i mean it's like you're gonna have battle scars you may have some you know uh uh things that you just will have to now carry right right but there is a way to to rebound for sure 
yeah and continue on and i i think it's the whole uh premise sometimes of of maybe the the movie at certain times is this ability to you know keep on going on yeah you know yeah i i don't i don't think you can emerge from the true catastrophes of life unbroken whether you're a believer or not right um because we all end up broken by something at some point in, in our lives but it, survive and move on is one thing unbroken is a completely different thing yeah yeah absolutely and you know sadly some people never recover from life setbacks and yeah. they remain in a broken state or devolve into a more troubled version of themselves and right. others pick up the pieces whether it's through faith in christ or through another faith whether you know there's islam hinduism judaism others through no religious faith at all but maybe through friends family support groups therapy mm-hmm. or some combination of of the above but you know i would add that while none of us are like david dunn physically of course mm-hmm. many of us are like him emotionally um mm-hmm. we can obviously be harmed physically but even though david didn't have a scratch on him he was still profoundly affected by being that sole survivor as, as you said and what that meant and, and you and, and i think you also look at you know how you deal with stuff i mean um david dunn didn't exactly strike me as somebody who uh was able to share a lot of what was going <laughs> on with him you know what i mean no he he, he, he wasn't kind of a talker no right? he internalized and a lot he internalized a lot he internalized a lot and i think that is you know again part of his struggle who knows part of our struggle whether it's you know this idea of um we all have a facade yeah right and you know the the typical how you doing everything's great when everything's not great and you just you know you just kind of keep moving on and you internalize things and i think um i think david dunn probably took that to uh another level he did he did i I think it's a great example of that as you said a, a a dramatized version, but right. still representative of most of us, nonetheless. Right. So, so we're out of time on this first segment, but we'll be back for more with Alex Espanya. You are listening to Evidence of Things Screened. Welcome back to Evidence of Things Screened. This is Lincoln Alabaster with my guest, Alex Espanya. Here to talk about the film Unbreakable in this episode titled Inner Strength. We ended the last segment discussing David Dunn's unbelievable survival of a horrific train accident. As the story continues, David attends the memorial service for his fellow passengers. And when the service is over, he's about to drive away. He notices this card on his windshield from Elijah Price asking if he's ever been sick a day in his life. This sets David on a mission to discover that, in fact, he's never been ill. The strange factor keeps multiplying, and David and his son Joseph, it's a lot of biblical names here. I know, I noticed that. (laughs) David and his son Joseph, yeah, all the the male um, characters here. Mm -hmm. David and his son Joseph, they head to Elijah's art gallery titled Limited Edition, great name, Mm -hmm. where he sells comic book art. And so this is where the the central theory of the film is first articulated by Elijah. That if someone like him exists, who's impossibly fragile, there should also exist someone who is impossibly indestructible. And that might be David. So though both men are a bit skeptical about this, it turns out to be an unforgettable premise that carries through the movie. 
So why do you think Elijah needs to believe this theory? Well, I think it, it, it gives explanation as to why his life is the way it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's what it is. It's like, you know, why am I like this? And if I'm like this, there must be an, uh, an opposite yeah. of, of who I am. Because as fragile as I am, there's got to be someone who's as strong as can be. Yes. No, I, I think that's exactly right. For me, it's the same thing. It's like it legitimizes him it, as a person with a purpose. Mm-hmm. It, it legitimizes also his, his life philosophy. Right. Right. I mean, he says comics are the last link to the ancient way of passing on history, which I guess he's referring to storytelling. And yeah. and that's a commonality it shares with the Bible. Right. <laughs> which, you know, getting back to the beginning and those Statistics. Clearly, we didn't have Twitter then. No, <laughs> maybe another way of, of passing on bad history. <laughs> no, many years before that. Right, right. Um, but you know, whatever the case, he he has immersed himself in the doctrine of comic book theory, and he's convinced that it is, for lack of a better term, it's it's the gospel to him. Mm-hmm. And so, this theory that he has needs to fit. Otherwise, his entire life has been a waste of time. Yeah. So, you know, some would say that the Christian's ideas of a great controversy between God and Satan is on par with Elijah Price's fantastical beliefs, which were sort of encapsulated in this drawing in the film of Slayer versus Jaguar. Um, what would you say to someone who says, yeah, that's that's. This is where I'm completely overwhelmed by the, <laughs> you know, um, I think uh, to, to have good, we know there's bad. If we believe in a God, as right. we do, and to believe um, in, in a higher power that is, you know, pushing us the right direction or encouraging us in, in, in whatever ways, then you got to believe, right, that there is a power that may be trying to send us signals to confuse um, our ability to do good and to do well and, and to be, you know, the best versions of ourselves as possible, right? Right, right. I, I get it. But I think, you know, comic book heroism versus villainism, to me, is it's a descendant mm-hmm. or, or derivative of the great controversy narrative of the Bible, right? right. And not, not the other way around. The but, power, you know, the battle between good and evil. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that it... it it is a descendant of that. That said, I do understand why people have a difficult time believing that there is a God and a devil, Satan, locked in this cosmic battle for our lives. It's mm-hmm. it's just not a rational thing to believe. No. It's not. No. And I've said it before, but you know, those of us with faith have to realize that we're the ones who sound crazy. Absolutely. Right? I mean... And living in New York, you sound even crazier. Uh, yes. And, and, and I will say, and you know, it's funny because... You know, we, we always talk about, you know, living in your echo chambers and, right, you know, surrounding yeah. yourself with people who all believe the same way and think the same way and speak the same way. And, right. Um, you know, New York can sometimes be that way. But I have to say, um, you know, being a Christian in New York City. Yeah. Is not easy. And it's and it's not not easy because, like, oh, people around me don't accept me and they think I'm crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe that's true to a certain extent. But that hasn't been the problem. But 
really listening to the Christian world sometimes outside of New York. Right. And how <laughs> how they reflect quote unquote reflect Christianity. Christianity makes me yes, you know, more sensitive to my own beliefs because people are like, Well, wait a minute, you know, well, you're a Christian. What do you think about that guy from Alabama who justified Roy, Roy Moore's, you know, obsession with young girls by saying, "Well, you know, uh, Joseph, the mother of Jesus and Mary, hooked up, and she was a she minor. Was a she was a, I mean, and you're like, what? And you, and exactly. Is, 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 and then people looked at me like, well. Hey man, aren't you a Christian as well? Aren't you guys both? I mean, right. probably we're, we're all lumped in. You're all lumped in together under the same umbrella. Yeah, it's, and it's frustrating because that, to me, that's indefensible. Right, and it's right. like no, 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 I don't believe that. I don't subscribe you know, to it's that. Ridiculous. It's 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 ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know. So it does, you know. There, it's interesting. It's like well, because they believe that there's a God, and you believe that there's a God, then. Then now they say that they're justifying this yeah. because Mary was a teenager. So then you, right. therefore, no. must also uh, believe the same thing. And that's totally false. You know, I can understand that being a follower of Jesus has has its own ridiculousness attached to it. Right. But there is still room to be a solid, rational, sensible person. Right. And believe in Christ. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, it's a tough line to walk because, as you said, like, there are the rational things, but then who decides that? Because again, we're talking about you know believing that Christ died on the cross, and because of that, we have access to eternal life through Him. And so that mm-hmm. is where it's like, okay, a lot of people just check out on that, and I get I it, you know. That. And it's like <laughs> the, like Elijah Price in the film, where you're like, wait a second. Really, you you believe that that Mm. because you're fragile, that there must be someone that's indestructible. I mean, that's and even worse, you you know he that's that's uh, David Dunn saying that, right? Right. You know, it's Mr. Glass saying, "No, you're the one. You're the one. You're the one." You know, (laughs) yeah. And it's it's different when it's like, well, you know, he's the one. You know, the Lord's. You know, yeah. But when people are like, "No, you're You're the the one." one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's absurd. So. You know, it does take a certain measure of faith to believe in the existence of a God we cannot see and a devil as well that we cannot see. So I think I think for Christians to kind of take note of that when when dealing with atheists or agnostics, I think it would go a long way to, I don't know, just having friendships and, and different uh, viewpoints. Can I just say one line that, that, that struck me in the movie? Yeah. Okay. And, and I don't <laughs> typically write down movie lines, but this was... And I thought this was pertinent today. Uh, the line was, and this is um, Elijah speaking, he says, there are mediocre times. No, these are uh, mediocre times. Yes. Did you catch that line? These yes. are yes. mediocre times. People starting to lose hope. Yes. Right? It's hard for many to believe that there are extraordinary things inside themselves as well as others. I Boom. I want to. I hope that wasn't way ahead of schedule. No, I, actually, I, I felt like I had to get that in there before this whole thing was over. No, it, we we will talk about that because ah. it, it is um it is a great quote and and I do want to talk about that. Uh, so we'll we'll jump to that. We'll jump to that because I it is a central quote from Elijah and it really goes toward uh, a lot of what I think this movie is about in terms of spiritual parallels. Yes. So. Joseph, the the son, Joseph Dunn, mm-hmm. he latches onto this idea of his father as a superhuman, and he 
he tests Elijah's theory during yeah. that weightlifting session. Right. It's just great. And he tricks his dad into lifting more weight than he thought possible. And later he takes his, his belief to an extreme point in a very crazy. tense scene where he intends to shoot his father to prove Great that he is indestructible. Which I had is, forgotten what was going to happen. I wasn't sure if he was going to shoot him or not. I had yeah. totally forgotten. I was like, I think he's going to shoot him. That's what's so great about that scene, you know, especially right. the first time you see it, right. is that you don't know. And right. and this isn't like the average superhero movie where it's like, well, of course, you know, they're going to shoot the bullets, going to bounce. But you have no idea. It's, it's so grounded in realism that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it just, you feel that tension. So in his dad's line, listen, no matter what happens, I'm leaving to New York. Yeah. If you sh- <laughs> whether you kill me here or if that bullet ricochets off of me, I'm leaving. Goes, I'm leaving. So why does Joseph, uh, David's son, why does he believe Elijah's theory, even as David dismisses it? You know, I think that's an issue where as 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 young people, as children, we just we want to believe. Yeah, you know, yeah. we we are we are hardwired as children to believe, and to believe in the amazing and the uh, unex- unexplicable, if you will. You know, that's why Disney is so amazing <laughs> for children. That's why Christmas and Santa is so amazing for children. The Tooth yes. Fairy is just like you. We want to believe, and I think whatever was also going through um, Joseph's life, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he needed. To believe very much, very much. Yeah, I think you're right on target. I mean, like you said, I mean, most children want to believe in in some sort of fantasy, and most children, even on a, a more simple level, they believe that their their father is stronger than he actually is. Right. Always. So, so there's that Always. as well. But, but no, he he did. He went up beyond that simple belief to embrace this more complex idea about who his father was. Because in a way, also, he knows how weak that he is. Mm-hmm. And, and he wanted to believe that someone that was much stronger than himself. And be uh, protected. And be protected. Yeah. You know, be yeah. taken care of. Yes. I think it sheds some light on why people believe in an omnipotent God. Right? right. I think the idea that that we are weak and there's a God who is all powerful. I think for many believers, that isn't attractive. Yeah. Thing about about what we're taught about God, and in fact, you know, in the Bible, the law, like the commandments and so forth, it was introduced, hoping that people would recognize their weakness and their inability to keep it, and then that would lead them toward Christ, who was the one who was stronger than us and 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 able to save us. So there's that too. That by understanding your weakness, you long for someone stronger. Did you notice the M Night Shyamalan cameo? Absolutely. Absolutely. That was pretty trippy. I didn't realize that the first time around either because I had no <laughs> idea what he looked like. Yeah. But this time I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, he does that in all, That's what I I think now. all of his I films. So. Yeah. I think so. Interestingly about that, as we'll talk about the limitations of, of David, because in that scene, uh, well, I guess, yeah. He's a scene, drug dealer. He was he's like, a drug dealer, but, but he thought that he had drugs. He thought that um, M. Night Shyamalan's character had drugs on him. And he was wrong. Right. He's so, gotten rid of the drugs. Wait, had he gotten... Ah, uh, see, this is a, this is an interesting point. Did we miss something? Because did he take it out of the trash can and put it in his pocket? Or no. He... Here's what happened. So, David Dunn, when he um, brushes by people, he right. can 
sense things about By the way, them. That, he has like two superpowers. Can we just get that out of the way? <laughs> I mean, he didn't just have one. He also had the ability to figure out like, oh, you're a bad person. Right. Or know what the bad things were that they were doing. Okay, and so here, here's what I found by looking at this closely is that he can only see things that have happened already or are happening. Right. But, but he can't tell, um, I guess, you know, future. So right. with M. Night Shyamalan's character... When you look at the flashback of him in the bathroom with the drugs, mm-hmm. he's actually wearing a different coat than he is wearing when, when David accosts him. So what David Dunn is seeing is a previous right. time that he had drugs, right. but he didn't have it with him this time. So um, about that scene with Joseph pulling the gun on his father, right? what did you take away from that? You know, I think we, we want to see it to believe it. Yeah, we want to see yeah. it. At, the, at the end of the day, especially now with, with with Instagram and and everyone has their cameras and photos and right. you know we got to see it to believe it. It's hard to believe anything. It's hard to believe anything um, without seeing it. And I think for for Joseph, he's like, I'm gonna shoot you, and I'm gonna not only prove to everyone, but I'm gonna see it for myself. Um, exactly. I think to remove any doubt. That is so on target because that's that's where we are really as a society. We we want to see the proof. We want to know. believe, but we want to see. You know, yeah. no one, we're tired of being suckers. It's, yeah, it's like we've suddenly everyone's David Duchovny from uh, um, X Files. X Files. Just want to believe. So, anyhow, the irony is that in all this, while David is learning about his untapped physical strength, his marriage is mm. weak. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and his wife Audrey played by Robin Wright great actress great actress phenomenal actress yeah. you know they're the couple and they're estranged in their own home and we find out that in fact David was interviewing in New York because he planned to move to New York and make the separation somewhat official but now that Audrey sees David survive the accident she looks at it as a sign that they need to try and reconcile mm-hmm. and you know, later we learned David sacrificed his budding football career to be with Audrey by pretending to have been injured in a car accident. Right. And she had refused to be with a man who participated in glorified violence, which I find that very prescient of M. Night Shyamalan to have those opinions on, on football in the year right. 2000. Right. But, um, right. but the very thing that he sacrificed his future for, which is a relationship mm-hmm. with Audrey, is now on life support so was David's sacrifice worth it so you know that's a fascinating question you know sacrifice is very personal yeah and I think the way you can measure sacrifice is by measuring resentment Mm. if you sacrifice Mm. but do not have resentment right then the sacrifice was for the right reason okay okay if you sacrifice but then somehow hold some sort of resentment for your sacrifice. Well, yeah. you know, I did this. Yeah. I did this for you. I did this for us, but I'm miserable. Mm. Or, you know, no one's thinking about me. Or, you know, I wish I would have. Well, then that that's not a great sacrifice. Yeah. You know, that's a sacrifice with an asterisk. Yes. Right? You know, yeah, sacrifice, but. But. Right. Although she doesn't know. But he does. And, yeah. And so... I think that's what we're trying to figure out. You yeah, know, you made the sacrifice 
David Dunn. Is it worth it? <laughs> but do you have any resentment for making the sacrifice? Yeah. And I think he he probably does. I think he did. Yeah. I think he did for a long time cause he, because he could, then he couldn't figure out who he was. Right. You know, okay, I sacrificed myself for, the, for, for you, for us, but now I have no idea what I'm supposed to do because all I thought I was thinking, well, all, all I was was thinking about was us. And, right. And, and now I don't know what else to do. Yeah, for me, the way I was thinking about this question, I felt like the only fair way to ask this question is or answer this question is with the information available at the time the decision was made. Mm. Right? With that in mind, I feel like it was worth it to David. Hindsight obviously is twenty twenty, but I mean obviously he couldn't see the future back when he, he faked the injury. Right. Um, but if you think about the sacrifice that Christ made for yeah, us, yeah. It you know having him being able to look down upon us and see mm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, if if he was like, why did I do that? That, you know, <laughs> sacrificing my life, big mistake. <laughs> These guys are losers, all of them. I mean, yeah. right? And yeah, then yeah. It, would, it was like, well, what was that for? You know, right. you could quickly take it back and, you know, wish he had never done it and, and you know. And he knew that, that there would be people who would reject him. Absolutely right. Even after the Absolutely sacrifice. right. And he still did it. And he still did it. Which there is, was no resentment because he was, it was happening for all the right reasons. Yeah. And it was, his motive was completely pure. That's right. And whether you or I accept or anyone else accepts it or not, he was going to go through with it. So I think that, I mean, that's so great. I mean, that is the sacrifice, you know. And um, if I can just touch on one aspect of the relationship that you notice i don't know if we're gonna get to this the when they go out on their first date again right mm-hmm. and i thought you know they ask each other questions and um i think she asked well when when did you know things were bad or things were right and, and he says i woke up from a nightmare and i didn't wake you up you know to console me and yeah. tell me everything was going to be okay and i think this is so telling in real life relationships yeah whether they're romantic or not it's mm-hmm. like how do uh, relationships go south? It's never like typically not like a huge deal. Not all the of a major sudden, thing. All of a sudden, it was just like I woke up and I hated everything. No, it's it's the little things. Yeah. And, and for him, it was like the little thing of you know I woke up from a nightmare. I didn't wake you up, and then I just started. You know, from there, it spiraled into what their situation is now. That was a great scene and a great piece of dialogue because yeah. it's so believable, right? right? Right. I mean, and that's what this movie does is that it's it's grounded and rooted in things that seem like, yeah, this could happen. Right. You know? Right. And it's so true to life. And one more thing. I think David made this sacrifice out of love. Mm-hmm. He gave up his life, really, or the life he could have had for Audrey. You know, you say the greatest sacrifice is giving up your life for someone. And, and although he, he's... This is a different type, you know, and he he did that. But I think the fact that we're talking about this reveals the the patriarchal system that we've been conditioned to accept. Uh So this is this is the woke alert, Uh you know, Uh because the gender dynamic is worth noting here, because historically women have been sacrificing their potential careers for husbands and families for centuries. And I don't know if if M. Night Shyamalan meant for this to be a point of discussion for the film, but I feel like it it is relevant somehow because it's such a big deal that 
this man sacrificed his career for his his family but right. but we accept that almost without thinking with if a woman does that but it it's almost like one of the right. main points of the film right. given that it's a man well, doing that. excellent observation. I wonder if I've, I've fi- finally become um, self-actualized. I've evolved. <laughs> My wife would be very happy to hear that. Where, you know, I saw that and I thought of, of well, you know, that's what you do for love. That's right. what I thought. Right. You know, that's what you do for love. But to your point, that's not typically the way the gender dynamic work, right? But but for um, David Dunn, he's like, you know what? I'm doing this for love. Yeah. And then that's the sacrifice you, you, you make, right? And so I thought that was um, it's a fascinating uh, um, observation there. I don't, I'm not sure if that's what he was thinking, but he nailed it. If, if, <laughs> it, if worked. it was, it worked, absolutely. <laughs> so is sacrifice proven worthy by the results, or is it worthy on its, on its own merits? Oof. Man, your questions are so good. <laughs> I mean, again, you know, I... No, you know, I, can you make a sacrifice and then not have it come from a good place? Or right, uh, right. I mean, uh, I think it is proven by its motive. Is it about motive? I mean, I mentioned resentment earlier. Is it about yeah. you know? Are you doing it to check off? You know, to do a checklist and say like, look, I fed the homeless. Okay, I'm good. Right. I did no, this. I think. I like, think it's I gave about money motive. to charity. Boom. I'm good. Right. But I mean, look, Jesus talks about that. He says that. There are people who say, hey, Lord, we did this. We, mm-hmm. we, you know, cast out demons in your name and did mm-hmm. this. And so they're sacrificing, but they're doing it with this belief that, okay, now you owe me. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, I'll sacrifice my time. I will go feed the homeless and do this. Right. But, but you better pay up when it's right. time. Right. And you better remember that. You better remember that. Right. And so Jesus is like... He says, well, depart from me because I never knew you. You never took time to actually have a relationship with me. You're sacrificing for the wrong reasons. Right. So for me, that's why I think sacrifice is proven by its motive. And I think David Dunn, his sacrifice was noble in that regard um, because he did place his wife over himself. So Elijah believes David has has chosen security work. He's a security guard because Mm -hmm. he's drawn to protecting people. Uh, that this is his calling. He he believes David has a supernatural ability to detect danger by touching someone. And David, his overall sadness is due to him not fully embracing who he is. Uh, and these are ideas that David just kind of rejects outright. And and there it is, the, that line that you mentioned earlier. It's hard for people to believe there are extraordinary things inside themselves as well as others. Right. So why why does David not want to accept who Elijah is saying he is? Um, because unlike in typical scenarios where you're used to people putting you down, yeah, right, and being you know surrounding yourself with you know now you surround yourself with either growing up, being bullied, or you know hearing the messages like oh maybe you're not smart enough, you're not good good enough, you're not good looking enough you're not you know fast enough, whatever it is you, you, mm. you hit the messages you typically hear are not like you're awesome right you don't know how awesome you are you don't know the gift that you have i mean these are things that you may tell your children but you tend to stop hearing as you grow older versus yeah very rare that an adult would tell that to another uh, adult people love giving constructive criticism well <laughs> let, you know, let's sit down and let me give you some tips about how you need to improve your life. You know what I mean? Right. But 
typically the opposite doesn't happen where it's like let me just sit down and just tell you what an amazing person you are yeah that's very and the gift that you have I think if we had more of that Uh, it would would be a great thing it would be a great thing love your neighbor as yourself boom it's right there so I and I think it goes for David it it almost goes hand in hand with what Jesus said in uh, Luke 12 48 Mm. um, which has been actually co-opted and repurposed by Spider-Man from Marvel Comics to everyone to whom much was given much shall be required so I think that David knows his life is simpler if he doesn't possess this supernatural strength. But once he accepts he does, then in a way he almost has to accept all the responsibility that comes along with that. He owns it. Yeah, and I don't think he wants to do that. I mean, he can barely keep his marriage and his family together. Right. So I think he's understandably wary of taking on more. You right. know? And so I think that's what... Well, it's like, you know, who, me? Right. You know, who am I? Right. Yeah, and but the thing is, you know, in the Bible, it talks about, Jesus talks about giving us the divine power through the Holy Spirit. And so, in the same, it's, it's kind of the same way, right? I mean, there's, there's the idea that this power from God can be within us, mm-hmm. and yet so many of us reject it, or we don't access it fully, or maybe we don't even believe that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, you know, are you good enough? I mean, even if you, if you, if somehow someone gets to you and and um, props you up and yeah. makes you feel really good and 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 believes in you and you start believing in yourself and you say, you know, mm-hmm. I can do this. I am a good person. All right, I do have the spirit. I do have a, a gift. How do you execute that without being a narcissist? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, and I think that's maybe another struggle. The the fight between your, your, your humbleness and, and getting in the way of, mm. of how do I execute this without coming across as a jerk? That's a great dilemma. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because, it is. Because, you know, it's he has now, he has, he has a big gift, right? Yeah. And, he, and then he has a huge responsibility. But, like, then what am I supposed to do with this, you know? Well, I, I think, you know, I always say the devil lives in extremes, right? Mm. So it's either you're worthless, you're nothing, right. or, hey... You're great. You right. you deserve this, right? right? And it's somewhere right. somehow finding the balance in in the middle where you're worthy enough that Christ died for you, right. but you're sinful enough that he had to die for you in the first place. That's right. right. You know, right. so there's somewhere in the middle and, and I think paradox. Yeah, it's it is, it's, it is a paradox. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that, you know, maybe that's part of the reason too where this idea of the the same uh, power that raised Christ from the dead it can be at work in us but if we acknowledge that then we also acknowledge that we have a responsibility to to act like Christ right to to love our enemies like Christ to forgive others like Christ to be mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. to everyone like Christ and I think some of us just don't want to acknowledge this responsibility or you know though most Christians would never own up to that right well, we'll pause here for a moment, but we'll return with the third and final segment. You are listening to Evidence of Things Screened. This is Evidence of Things Screened. I'm Lincoln Alabaster. My guest is Alex Espana. The title of this episode is Inner Strength, and the subject is Unbreakable, the film directed by M. Night Shyamalan and starring Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. 
So far, we've covered the unbelievable survival and the unforgettable theory. Yes. And now in this last segment, we will discuss the unthinkable truth. <laughs> David tells Elijah two stories in order to disprove Elijah's theory about David being supernaturally strong. First, he tells him about the car accident that ended his football career. And second, he tells him that he suffered pneumonia after he almost drowned as a boy. But Elijah's clever enough to figure out that the first story is a lie and a cover story for David's sacrifice. And regarding the second story, he realizes that as with every superhero, David has one weakness and his is water. What about this idea that, you know, Elijah knows David better than David seems to know himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What did you think about that? I mean, it's again, it's one of those things where if you lack insight, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's easy to not really understand yourself, but yeah. sometimes, you know, and I think the saying goes, you know, I, I, I know you better than I, than you know yourself, you know right? Yourself, because, yeah. you know, we've, we've witnessed things that you're not recognizing, yeah. you know? And I think for, um, Elijah, uh, he knows he's, he's already like put it together. I'm like, man, I've already put all the pieces together. I've connected all the dots. This is who you are. And again, if, if your self-worth or your ability to um, self-evaluate and, and analyze, if it's not there, you're just never going to see it. He wasn't st- a student the way that Elijah was. Right. And that's where Elijah's like, you know, in sports, a prepared athlete has studied all they can on their opponent. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like in much the same way Elijah's been preparing all his life. Right. For the idea of David without knowing him personally. So by the time David arrives, all of Elijah's obsessions about comic book philosophies have just given him this clear view of who this guy is. And and with that, he he's the one that directs David to go to a place where he could, you know, stretch out his arms and people would brush by and Mm -hmm. and. So David could use his gift of detecting the things that other people have done, which, as we mentioned, is basically all evil acts. Right. So why does he tell him to do that? And then why does David do it? Well, isn't that like, you know, you just cast your uh, net on the other side of the boat yeah. and see what happens. You know what I mean? I mean, it's a test of faith. He's like, OK, well, you don't believe me. We're going to test your faith. Just do this. And see what happens, right? Cast your net, we'll see what happens. Put your faith out there and see what happens. And I think that, I mean, for David Dunn, that's exactly what he did. I mean, he did it. I mean, he could have just said, no, I'm not doing it. This is crazy. Forget it. But he actually does it. Yeah, I think this is the point where he he embraces the idea that I could be this guy that Elijah's. I think that's such a key point in the movie because... He's been resisting it all along, and I think finally he's like, you know what? Let me, for a moment, embrace this idea of who Elijah's saying that I am. And as we always want to believe. Yeah, we at really some do. point, like in the core of right. who David was, he wanted to believe it. And he tried right. to resist, but right. And of course, we find out that he he did have these powers, right? And that leads him to a home. Mm. Where a man has tortured and killed. Disturbing. Yeah, very disturbing. It got dark. It got dark. That was dark. (laughs) It got really dark. You know, he killed the two parents and he tied up their 
their two children. children. And so David sets the kids free after being pushed into a pool and nearly drowning. There's the water. Um, And, well, he he sets the kids free. And then after he's pushed into the pool and nearly drowns, he emerges to fight the intruder to the death. This was such an emotionally packed sequence on on just a number of of so many things going on there yeah i think the fact that they chose a family right i think speaks volumes again for a metaphor because it's something that you all relate with it's like one thing that you're like you you know you can't do that right you evil person you you, that's not what you do i mean or, or that's not how you do it but it's it's like total destruction of what we, I think, sometimes value that we put on a pedestal of some sort is yeah. this idea of family and of wholesomeness, and why would anyone do that? Yeah, it's an ugly, ugly thing. Ugly you, thing. You look at the other crimes that he saw, um, this was one that was you know, definitely reprehensible, but it was also something that he could still do something about. Right. There were a lot of other crimes, which are really dark, too. I mean... Right. The, ah. the the scene of the young girl who's passed out yeah. in, in the guy's bedroom yeah um, that's tough that's tough that's, that's really tough. tough I was hoping to go after him too he didn't um, you know the woman stealing from the jewelry store or whatever you know, yeah like, that's uh, mild by comparison yeah I was, I was just like, like yeah, yeah whatever Next. he was like whatever right. I'll let that go but right. they're yeah. insured yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah, I'm not but, gonna protect but, some corporation. But you know, when he when when she falls in when he falls into the pool, I think it's important to note too that it was the kids. Yes. Who pulled them out? The, the kids, yeah. the 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 very young people he saved yes. are the ones. The children are the ones who will save. Saved him. Yes. You know. Absolutely. Great. Great point. And I'm sure uh, M Night Shyamalan had something, you know, that he meant right. by having Definitely. them save them. Definitely. You know, I feel like there's this idea of, of maybe I'm taking it too far, but baptism, um, mm-hmm. because when he, yeah. when he dunked, when he went into the pool and then when he came up, then he went back to the house and that's when he, you know, fought this guy and killed him. And, um, and it was like, right. he was immersed in the water and then he came out like fully, truly embracing a new man, a new man. Yeah. And he was he like, was Oh, true. okay. Now yeah. this is the way it's going to go down. Yeah. Because I also think he was struggling with with death itself once again. Yes. You know, and it's like, now you have a choice. You know, you didn't have a choice in the train. Yes. And you didn't have a choice in the car accident. Right. But now you're in this, in the depths of this pool and you could just mail it in. Yeah. You know, you have an opportunity again. Yes. You can just die right now or you're going to fight. And he reached up. He reached up. He reached up to the, to the pole that was, that was coming into the pool and and he said, "I want to be saved." I mean, it's such a great scene, metaphorically, yeah. um, literally. It's just, it was really the first time where he was saying, "I want to live," as you said. Yeah. Like everywhere right. else, it just seemed like he couldn't care right. less. He, well, he couldn't care less. He couldn't help it. He had to live, right? I yeah. mean, he wasn't going to die. But this is an opportunity to check yeah. out because yeah. of what water does to him. So, right. and he chose life and uh, chose to to emerge a new man. So the, the film seems to end when David's anonymous rescue makes the paper mm-hmm. and he shares it with his son, confirming the secret that they now share, which is great. He whispers to him, it's true. Yeah. Well, that yeah. was me or whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he said, yeah, I think he said <laughs> it's, it's true. Right, yeah. right, right. It's great. Right. And um, so he they confirms They still don't tell it. mom. And they don't <laughs> tell mom, you know, but his marriage is rekindled. Right. And there's this newfound purpose that he has. So we see sort of the sadness lifted from David's face. He has 
purpose now. Why do you think he doesn't share his secret with Audrey, and, and do you think he ever will? Um, you know, that's a good question. Are you, are, is he doing that to protect her? Is he doing that to, like, you know, um, not get things complicated? Yeah. Because he's so happy to be reunited with her. Like, you know, this is now another layer of just... Right. stuff that maybe we don't need to deal with you know i i think it's that <laughs> right? right i think it's that i mean i think they're just getting back right maybe he tells her down the line maybe yeah at some point maybe he he tells her but i think it's such a, there's in such a fragile state now that he doesn't want to like joseph did to him throw on more weight that's you know? right that's right absolutely <laughs> he doesn't think that the marriage could could handle it at this right. point. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby, baby steps. steps. But I do, and this is, this kind of fits the superhero trope, right? Where, right. where the superhero has people close to him or her that don't, don't know, know their true Come identity. On, Lois Lane. Yeah, exactly. Come on, Lois Lane. Exactly. How do you know that's not Superman? Exactly. It's the same face. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's wearing glasses. You really don't know. <laughs> so I think this is such a, a realistic attempt at that. And you know, something else I thought about too is that. Being who he is now means that he's going to encounter violence. Mm. And and Audrey is anti-violence. That's right. I mean, even for some level of football. Right. So. You don't like football. This, you're really not going to like fighting the bad guys <laughs> to the death. To the death. To the death. Because yeah. yeah. that guy was, was going to the death. Yeah. He wasn't going to stop. Right. Until one of them died. And he was he a bad died. man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think that's another reason why he's, he's probably hesitant. Uh, so. Okay, here we go. The film wraps up. Right. David goes to limited edition to see a special exhibit that Elijah's hosting, and he meets Elijah's mother, who explains a particular piece. Who has aged beautifully, by the she way. She has aged She looks better now, I think, <laughs> than in 1961 in Philadelphia. Anyway. Yes, yeah, she's glowing. Right. Um, and she explains this particular piece by quoting her son and saying that there are two types of villains. One is a soldier villain who uses his hands, and the other is an arch enemy who uses his mind mm. so to me this brought up the the verse from i think ephesians 6 12 mm-hmm. where where paul is saying like our fight is not against flesh and blood but against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil Uh-oh. am i way off here or is no this- i mean i think that's again that's um you know, isn't isn't the the mind the the, the thing that we battle the most when it when, it, when so. it comes to messages and ideas and beliefs? I mean, yeah. that's where it's at. I know? think even even if you're not a believer, um, if you don't even believe in, in God or Christ or anything, I think you can still agree that the mind is where a lot of the battles that's right. occur. That's right. You know, right. it's our own thoughts. It's the things that come right. to our minds that, or the things that maybe someone said and we play over and over it's right. it's the we constant we ourselves of all sorts of things yes yeah, it's it's such Good power so right. you know you almost would rather fight physically than to and protecting it. your mind is something that's important too because of it, the messages that you're listening to the the echo chamber of your of your you know of your close-knit group or whatever part of society you belong to i mean that's that's a challenge it, it's a it's a significant challenge yeah. so Basically, David speaks with Elijah one last time, and Uh-oh. Elijah leads him to a quiet area Uh-oh. and tells him that the scariest thing is to not know your place in the world, mm. to not know why you're here. There you go. 
What do you think? Is that? And it goes back to the beginning, right? Yeah. Is that it? Is it is true? I I think it. I think I don't know. If scary is a word, but I think it is um, depressing and disorienting to mm-hmm. not know why you're here. But I, I I don't know that scary is that, but I do think it's one of the one of the great challenges of life right. to to not yeah. know. And yeah. so, finally, Elijah extends his hand, and as David grasps it, we realize Uh-oh. that he's actually never made contact with Elijah Should've throughout the entire film. Should have. Should have. But as he does, he realizes the unthinkable, that Elijah has orchestrated, at minimum, Not three cool. cat- catastrophic events, Not cool. including David's train crash, and killed Just hundreds, not. maybe thousands of people yeah. in this maniacal search for his polar opposite, yeah. all to confirm his comic book fuel theory. Yeah. And he says, now that we know you, who you are, I know who I am. What did you that, think about that ending? That was a twist. A oh. twist that I was not appreciative of. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. you're like, wait, because you know, you want to like Mr. Glass. Yes. You, you almost feel yes. empathy for him. Yes, you know, you're you like, do. man, you know, this guy, he just wants to, to maybe himself feel protected and feel right. safe and feel like, you know, right. um, my life is a value because I found this other person of value to help society. But, but what he did in order to get to it it's right unconscionable and i mean it's, it's wrong it's, it's, i'm just gonna go out and say yeah. it. it's wrong because i mean i think that's part of the question like, well, wrong. well you know but 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 he did find the he did discover yeah. um mr unbreakable wasn't right. that worth it and you're like i don't know that's there a great been, question there could have been other ways maybe yeah maybe so if he didn't sacrifice all those people would he have found this guy who then now can potentially save lives, right? right. right? I mean, is right. that worth it? This is the cost? twist, and this is the struggle. That's why I think it's just so brilliant. That's why I think it's so much better than than Sixth Sense, right. which, I mean, that was a great twist, too, but I think this I see is that such... Visual. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think this is so much more I don't. I impactful. Wish. I'm glad I don't. <laughs> right. I'm very glad I don't. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's very impactful, and I think it just, um, once again, speaks volumes to um, the struggle of in order to get to good, is yeah. it okay that we do bad? Yeah, I right? think that is that's really one of the central questions. That's, I mean, like you know, listen, yeah, I killed a lot of people, but it was only to get to the person who's going to be able to save a lot of people. Right. But the problem is that it, it wasn't the people's choice, and that's right. the problem. He sacrificed people without did not have a choice. Yeah, they had no choice. In they the had matter. no choice. And if you self-sacrifice, it's a different thing. And that's evil. That's just evil. Right. So. You know, Elijah says something at the beginning of the film, the middle and the end. He says, they called me Mr. Glass. So what does this have to do, if anything at all, with who Elijah is? Yeah, no, I think it was once again revealing who he is. Yeah. yeah. Revealing who he is. Yeah, I think it was a key, I think it was a key motivator for him. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to be known as that. It motivated him. It showed the power of words spoken over you. From the time he was young, they were calling him this, and it affected him in, a, in such a significant way that mm-hmm. he embodied that and maybe resented it a bit, and mm-hmm. it, it helped, I guess, fuel all well, of this. And, and, I, and I will say that tra- the transformation happened to maybe denial at the beginning to acceptance towards the end, where towards yeah. the end he's like, 
Ah, yeah. They call now. They yes. call me Mr. Glass versus like they call me Mr. Glass. You know, yeah. At the beginning, where it's like, oh, this is a bummer. Yeah. But now, yeah, I understand why, and it's he's, a more he's bold. owning it. Yeah, right? he, he's he's now owning it. Yeah, I think that was, you know, great again on M Night Shyamalan's part as a writer and director. So finally, the hero's code of the movie is spoken by David's son Joseph earlier in the film. He says, "You can't let bad things happen to good people." Mm. so if that's a valid hero's code you can't let bad things happen to good people how does a believer reconcile the fact that at times God does allow bad things to happen to good people so um, let me comment on the on the previous um, statement first sure. right? which I think um, it's, is telling in the story where he says you know I thought you were my father. I thought I would have the same power yes. as as you have because yeah. I'm your son. And I think so many times when our Christian walk, we look at you know we say God. Well, because you're my God, right? And I believe in you, and and I believe in you, Christ. I'm also unbreakable. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I think that's sometimes a fallacy. Going back now to the second point, it's like, well, sometimes you still may be a child of God, yeah, but crappy things are still going to happen to you. Yes. You know, you can't get away from that even though we're the children of Christ Jesus, right? I yeah. mean, you know, if you believe that, it still does not make us unbreakable. It's a false expectation. That's right. And so this whole idea of why do uh, bad things happen to good people, I think is the number one struggle with anyone ever accepting God and, and the idea of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. Because... We see so much destruction, and not only in in um, when it comes to natural disasters, but when it comes to mass shootings, when it comes to oh, abuse, when it comes to assault, when it comes to there's I no mean, end. There's, there's no, no end. end to what is wrong with this world. And anybody, whether you're a devout Christian or a, a devout atheist or whatever you believe, it's completely rational to ask the question: Well, man, if there is a God, why? Why would this you allow this to happen? This is the whole problem. You know what I mean? This, this is the problem. This is the problem. And I think um, I have many a good friend who 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 have various beliefs. Many do not believe in anything. Who who ask that question? And that is a legitimate question. And that's the thing is that there is no good answer, you right? Know? Because to say, well, trust God and His sovereignty. Mm. That's that's not going to cut it for a lot of people, but ultimately, that's where it lies. Either you you say, okay, I'm all in. I'm right. going to trust God that right. in his sovereignty, everything makes sense to him. Right. And, and there's, I don't know. And so that's where it's like you you either accept it or you don't. And that's why I say for Christians, you have to recognize that what you say Absolutely. in terms of this is not rational. That's right. It, you have yeah, to right. you have to acknowledge and own the fact that faith is not. It natural. sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. Someone's right? listening to this thinking Alex Espana sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the Lincoln Alabaster like, sounds, sounds crazy. crazy. He's pretty smart, but he does sound a little crazy. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like yeah, and that's even more so because wow, you're you're so educated, but yet you believe this, right? And the, you know, in New York, I'm sure you you deal with that a lot of intellectuals here. It's like wait. I thought you were intellectual. I thought you were smart, right. but but you still believe that right. there's the God and He's 
watching over you and Christ died for you and all that stuff. So that is something that um, it's it's something that I cannot explain. Mm. And, I, yeah. and I think it's better that I don't try because I'm yeah, not. And I'm not going to try either. You know, I've heard the different, you know, well, you know, because of sin in the world. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, that's great. Yeah. But that's not, I mean, really? That's okay. So, yeah. So we can't do anything about it. We just right. have to, you know, well. But that's the thing. It's like, so then people say, out. well, either he's not as powerful Right or, or he's not he doesn't at, care right or he doesn't care like and so you know, you know if if you get into an intellectual discussion uh, if I get into intellectual discussion on the existence of God and trying to explain why certain things are, I'm going to lose every time right and so because there is it's not rational so for me I just I said look I choose to believe this I can't tell you that it makes sense but right. you know I've seen God work in my life and. Mm-hmm. There are still things even in my own life that I don't understand, mm-hmm. but ultimately, I do trust him, and mm-hmm. I and I can't articulate, you know, a five point <laughs> defense right. for why. Right. Well, yeah. So, well, Alex, we're gonna wrap up here. This was epic, man. This was epic. <laughs> I'm so glad Sorry. that you stopped by for uh, this. This is a great film. Um, note to our viewer or our listeners, I should yes. say. Improbably, a sequel to Unbreakable will be in theaters. What? Nineteen years after the original. What? It's in January of two thousand nineteen. That's right around the corner, almost. 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 Yes, a little more than a year. I was and hoping it was two thousand eighteen. No. You, then you dropped nineteen. Yeah, two thousand nineteen. Like, oh, two thousand nineteen. Okay. M Night Shyamalan will release the film Glass. Wow. Which he wrote and directed. So right. both Unbreakable and Glass are connected by Split. Did you see Split? No, is this an M Night Shyamalan movie? Yeah, I I know he struck out a couple times. Yeah, he struck out a bunch of okay. times. Okay, I mean, but Split was his comeback. Um, was that good? It was a surprise blockbuster he put out in January of 2017. I got another starring James McAvoy. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, check out Split. Okay, it 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 will be the bridge between. Unbreakable and Glass. Okay. And so... Um, Looking forward to it. Yeah. I mean, I, when I read that, I was like, wow, that's incredible. I mean, very rarely will you see that where the person who wrote and directed the original will, you know, nearly 20 years later, revisit mm-hmm. that. Usually someone else will take it and run with the franchise or something, and it won't right. be the original creator, but right. but he's doing he's it. Doing so it. Okay. Uh, and if you watch Split, you'll you'll get a little bit of a cameo surprise, so I'll just no, leave it at that. No. So anyhow, Got thank you so to. much, Alex, for stopping thank by. You. To all our listeners, thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Evidence of Things Screen. Until then, this is Lincoln Alabaster. Keep your faith up. Evidence of Things Screen is an Advent Hope Ventures production in association with Church of the Advent Hope, a Seventh-day Adventist community on the Upper East Side of Manhattan in New York City. Go to adventhope.org for more information. Evidence of Things Screen is produced by Todd Stout, Tony Sebro, and Lincoln Alabaster, with technical assistance from Nicholas Zork, Roberto Rutherford, Dwight Francis, and Jim Bogusky. Music provided by Jaw Rockin' Productions.